This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the Word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the I Think Friday program. Hi, I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And this is the word to stand on for life. I got to tell you, if I didn't have this radio program and had to say, welcome to the Monday show or the Tuesday show, I wouldn't know what day of the week it is. I'm still confused. I know tonight we have Bible study. I'll be doing actually finishing the book of First Peter. We're going to go right into the book of Second Peter next week. But we're finishing First uh, Peter chapter 5 tonight, finishing the first epistle. And that will be live streamed at calvarysa.com at 7 o'clock. We'd love to have you join us for it. Uh, as you know, this is a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions or life questions or whatever's on your heart or mind. We'll do the best that we can to find the answers you need only to call us. Uh, 210-340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Numerically, that's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvaryessay.com or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. If you are driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just push the call now banner at the top of the screen and the rest of it will be hands free and you'll be safe. And I would be delighted to take your question. Let's get to a phone call waiting. We've got Charles on line one from San Antonio. Charles, thanks for calling early. You're on the air. Hey, Pastor Ron. How you doing? I'm doing well. How are you doing? I miss y'all. That's how I'm doing. (laughs) Charles, this is crazy, isn't it? Yeah. Hey, uh, I have a question. Since they announced that they're going to slowly be uh, reopening the state because of this COVID mess, um, mm-hmm. are we going to con- are we going to recontinue uh, church services, or what are y'all going to do? Well, Charles, thanks for asking, and you're getting a lot of feedback. So, if you'll listen to the rest of this on the on the radio, I'd appreciate it. Um, we okay, are. Thanks, Charles. Uh, we're we're going to obey the law. Um, that's what we've been doing, what we're going to do. Uh, today, the governor, Charles, made an announcement that brought us great, great sadness. Uh, the school year for all schools, public and private, uh, has been canceled. I'm amazed that they would have taken that step. Um, I, I really question whether or not they have the authority to do that when it comes to private schools. But uh, they made that decision, and again, we're going to abide by the law. Um, It means we're going to finish our school year uh, teaching online 
uh, which is a, just a horrible, horrible thing for the kids and, and for the moms and dads who are homeschoolers who aren't gifted to do it. Um, our teachers are putting in unbelievable amounts of work. So uh, we're going to um, we're going to abide by the law. Now, as it relates to church, uh, the governor's announcement today said nothing whatsoever about it. He said that on the 27th of April, which is 10 days from now, uh, he's going to issue a new executive order. And we expect him then to deal with uh, some of the um, um, other issues, restaurants, and and we hope houses of worship. Um, we heard some scuttlebutt that that he was going to deal with churches now. Uh, so I, I can say this, Charles: we're 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 stuck where we are through the end of April. Um, what that will look like uh, in May, we don't know until we uh, we we hear what the governor has to say on April 27th. Now, as you know, Charles, you know me, my heart is, I, I, we just need to be around our people. We need to, to, to be able to minister. The, the body of Christ needs the fellowship. We need to be out ministering to people. That's what we do. Those are the gifts that God has given us and the mission God has given us. So here's what I will promise you, Charles, and everybody else listening. The moment... They tell me it's okay. We're going to start church services again. The moment. Now, I'm certain there's going to be a lot of people who are still uncomfortable and uh, a bit fearful of being back in in uh, uh, larger groups of people. Um, it's it's um, also true, I think, that there are some people that probably shouldn't be uh, in large groups of people. We've got people that are older, people that are immunocompromised, people with other physical problems. And I think if you're in the danger zone or in that, that class of, of uh, people, uh, then I think you need to be very, very cautious. But by and large, um, I think it's perfectly safe to be in church. I think we ought to be there. And um, I'm sad that we're not. However... Uh, we're going to um, obey the law. That's what Christians do. We need to be good witnesses, and we're going to obey the law. Charles, we miss you and your wife. Please give her a hug for us. We love you very, very much. Three four zero ninety five eighty five for your live calls and questions. Here is an anonymous question that I love. When I get questions like this, I wish I had names because this shows that people are really watching. Um, what are the reasons for the difference in purification process for a woman who gives birth to a boy as compared to a girl? Now, the question is about Leviticus. Let me read the passages. Leviticus chapter 12, beginning in verse 2 through verse 4, says this. A woman who becomes pregnant and gives birth to a son will be ceremonially unclean for seven days, just as she is unclean during her monthly period. Then the woman must wait 33 days to be purified from her bleeding. She must not touch anything sacred to go to the sanctuary until the days of her purification are over. Then in verse 5, it says this, if she gives birth to a daughter for two weeks, remember for a boy it was seven days, for a daughter it's two weeks, the woman will be unclean as during her period. Then she must wait 66 days, double again, to be purified from her bleeding. Uh, anonymous, the, the reason is simple. Um, um, it may not make a lot of sense in our Western culture, but remember that boys were commanded by the law to be circumcised on the eighth day. And because they were commanded by the law, 
to be circumcised on the eighth day, then the woman, the, the mother, had to be um, uh, pronounced clean and, and able then to attend uh, the, the bris. So that's why it was. Now, all of this seems strange to us, talking about periods. And, but we have to remember that to, in a Jewish culture, the, 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 the idea of blood was sacred, absolutely sacred. Now, this isn't punishing a woman or saying that a woman is unclean so for twice as long if she has a daughter. That's not at all. You know what this was? This is sort of a biblical precedent in a different culture for what we now call paternity leave. This was just a chance to give the woman's body uh, heart, soul, everything, a chance to recuperate. There were religious ramifications and purification processes, but in in large part, this was just God protecting um, the, the health of the woman and the baby, giving them some times to bond, um, but um, difference between a boy and a girl is simply because the boy had to be circumcised on the eighth day. Anonymous, those are the curious kind of questions that people ask. And I think, oh, oh, maybe a Bible teacher being made by the Lord there. So thank you for asking the question. Let's go to another anonymous question. Um, says, Pastor, I have a personal question for you. How do you reconcile a sense of justice with the teaching on women not being pastors in 1 Timothy chapter 2? Um, um, Anonymous, the first thing I want to say to you is that I'm going to be teaching that passage um, one week from Sunday. Uh, I'm, I'm starting 1 Timothy chapter 2 this Sunday, but I'll be teaching this passage and be able to go into a lot of detail. Now, um, the, the first thing you need to understand is that there's no problem with the sense of justice because this is the God of justice who gives us the rule. Now, if, if you use the word fairness, I might understand better. But justice, this is a holy God, a consuming fire, the God who lives in unapproachable life. He's also the, the head of the church, our Jesus is. And that means as head of the church, he gets to make the rules. And the reason is that there was a consequence to the original sin. Adam was the one credited with being a sinner. Eve, we're told, in this First Timothy 2 passage, was deceived. She was just deceived. And one of the consequences of her doing what she wasn't supposed to do, even though she was deceived by the enemy, one of the consequences was that her ancestors women throughout history would would not be able to be in a position of authority over men, pastors in the church. So that's not a difficult issue whatsoever. It's not a difficult issue for me at all. I think, Anonymous, what we've got to do is we've always got to start out understanding that everything that the Bible tells us is both just and I will add the word fair. It's a very dangerous thing to challenge God as being unfair, even worse, to declare him unjust. God gives each of us gifts. He gives each of us roles. And we don't get to debate with him. And it ought to be so simple. It ought to be so straightforward. Why is it, I would turn the question around, Anonymous, and say, why is it that we believe 
that we should have some input, that God needs our 21st century perspective in the West on the roles that he gives. So I have no problem at all with the fairness or with the justice of God. I have no problem at all with God saying, I've given you this gift and you can do this role and saying to the woman, I've given you these gifts and in this role. No problem at all. God is the giver of gifts. We know his gifts are wonderful. It always alarms me, Anonymous, always alarms me that we who are Christians would even question the justice or the fairness of God. It would never occur to me to do so. So I hope that answers your questions. 340-9585 for your live calls. The phones have been pretty quiet this week. I thought with everybody home and going crazy, we'd get some more calls. Here's a question from Rodney. He says, I know there are many translations of the Bible. How can they be inerrant when they all differ? Um, Rodney, um, inerrancy and infallibility are important, but we have to remember that only the original manuscripts are inerrant and infallible. Only the original manuscripts. Now, we can put those manuscripts together. We have unbelievable quantities of manuscript evidence. And when we put them together, we can come up with reliable translations. But we need to remember also that language is not static. It's not like um, we spoke King James in 1600 and we're, 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 we, we still speak King James. Language changes, the meaning of words changes. And so what we've got is different translations which are trying the best they can to faithfully translate the manuscript evidence that we have. So there are differences in the Bible, not contradictions, but there are differences in the translations of the Bible. But that still doesn't take away uh, neither the inerrancy or the infallibility of the original manuscripts, uh, those that were written literally by the breath of God pushing the pens of men. So... It's important you understand that. Now, the purpose of translations. The purpose of translation is something we all need to really, really understand. Um, A Bible that you don't understand is a Bible you won't read. And so there are translations written at different levels, different educational levels. Some of them are written um, thought for thought rather than word for word. Word for word translations can be uh, awkward, but but thought for thought translations are more easily understood. And remember, the idea with our Bibles is to truly understand them. And if we really understand them, then we won't have any problem at all in doing what we read. So, Rodney, you don't have to worry. Our manuscripts are good. They are dependable. Um, as a matter of personal preference, there are some that I like more than others. Uh, I've been getting a little frustrated during this coronavirus quarantine situation because um, my iPad that I read, I can make the, the letters real big, um, but but it's been years now, but they took away the 1984 version of the NIV uh, in, in the uh, U version of the Bible, which I think most of us have on our, on our electronics. Um, and replace it with the 2011, the 2011 
um, translation, which is gender inclusive and a bunch of other silly stuff. Um, and I got so frustrated that I just wiped it out, did this last week, and put it on New King James. And so I've been reading on my iPad um, the, um, the, the New King James Version now for the last, I don't know, a week or ten days. And, um, you know, I prefer the 1984 version of the NIV. Um, it reads better. It's more accurately translated in the New Testament, not the, not the Old Testament, but in the New Testament. And yet, what I am reading in the New King James is also reliable and dependable and an accurate representation of the original autographs. So, Rodney, I hope that answers your question. We don't have to worry about the, the veracity of our Bibles. It is rock solid. Um, find a Bible that you understand. Find a Bible that you're comfortable reading. And uh, I promise you the Lord will be there and bless you. Here's a question from Irene. Irene, you've written in a couple times in the last month. I love this question. Your questions are good ones. What is the best way to tell if someone is really saved? Um, Irene, the, the answer is the fruit of the Spirit. Is the fruit of the Spirit evident in their lives? You know, really born-again Christians ought to be kind. We ought to be um, optimistic. doesn't mean that we are in denial or we deny uh, the problems in this world, but we're optimistic because we know the one who holds all of these things in his hands. Um, but but we ought to have a positive outlook. Um, the, the, the New Testament believer needs to be a generous man or woman. Um, somebody who walks by faith trusting God instead of someone who walks fearfully because of the circumstances around them. You know, Irene, and I'll get very specifically to your question in a moment, but, you know, in this situation we find ourselves in, it is um, um, disheartening for me, uh, heartbreaking as well, um, to, to see Christians who are so afraid that they're drifting away from the Lord, they, they won't go out, they, you know, it's just, no, I, I you know, I don't want to get it. We, we, we just can't be men and women who give in to fear. Now, we're going to be fearful. We're going to worry. Those kind of things that we're warned by Jesus not to do. But what we do with that we're for somebody who is a born-again believer is going to take that fear and just lay it down at the foot of the cross and say, Jesus, because of what you did for me, I'm going to trust you. So when you see somebody walking by faith, somebody who's about the business of God, even in a time like this, well, then you've got a pretty good indication they're really saved. Now, the specific answer, Irene, is, is real simple. Genesis chapter 5, beginning in verse 19, um, that first list tells you the things that identify an unbeliever. I call it the bad fruit of the flesh. And then you start with verse 22, and you see the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. So when you see somebody whose life is characterized, now we're not going to be perfect all the time with all those things, but, but when our lives are characterized by those things, it's impossible for a really born-again believer not to love the people God loves, saved and unsaved. 
it's one of the things that breaks my heart so much about uh, the internet and I see uh, Christian websites and Christian blogs and I see people bashing the church and uh, it's just it's an amazing thing where there's no love there's no spirit Jesus said where there's no spirit you have none of him so if people aren't walking in love Irene then that identifies them as an unbeliever joy I'm not talking about happiness. I'm not talking about faking it, you know, pretending everything is okay. Praise the Lord. I'm not talking about that at all. But real joy in His presence is fullness of joy. Nehemiah adds, the joy of the Lord is my strength. We Christians, we need to have joy even in a time like this. I opened the program today by saying, I'm bummed out by school being closed. Um, um, you know, we, we've got kids that want to get back to school. We've got seniors who are going to miss out on all the things the last month of the school year gives or, or brings for seniors. We have seniors in tears today. Um, we got tired teachers, got a tired principal. He's doing a wonderful job. But, but he and the teachers are working literally double the number of hours online that they would have to work if they were here. And it's hard. And yet there's still a joy. Before the program today, some of the kids who uh, come in and pray for us when, when school is in session, some of those kids, um, they call last few days. Well, today another family uh, happens to be the uh, a teacher. The dad's a teacher in the school and um, the kids go to school and they call to pray for for Papa Ron in the radio show. They have joy even when we're sad. Patience. You see somebody who's impatient. Kindness. You see somebody who's not kind. Well, that's the way you can identify them as an unbeliever. So, Irene, that's what's really important. It's not what we say we are. It's how we live our lives. Do we live them to honor Jesus? Now, one other comment, Irene, and then I'll move on. I think we're inside about three minutes for this, this half of the program. But it doesn't give us the right to judge people. But what we ought to be willing to do in love we see somebody who's not living with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, all those other things, then what we do is, is we, we, we remind them of it. Paul used to tell me, now, Paul has got a face that lights up a room, and, well, I'm just the opposite. And once in a while, she'll say, are you happy? And I'll say, well, well yeah, what's wrong? She will tell your face. And she doesn't do that to be mean. She does it because she loves me. She cares about my witness. So, the fruit of the Spirit is really the way, Irene, to tell if somebody really belongs to Jesus. If they're not living that way, then our job as Christians is to lovingly confront them, lovingly, gently confront them, and help them understand that as Christians, we have a responsibility. Josh says... Pastor, don't you think it is unfair of God to judge us because of Adam's sin? Now, Josh, nothing God does is unfair. 
again the same question that we had earlier. Uh, there is nothing unfair or unjust about God. What's unfair is that his son was judged in our place. And yet God did that for us as an act of grace. The other thing I want you to understand is nobody ever, whether it's you, Josh, or me, nobody's ever going to be judged for Adam's sin. When you stand before God, every knee will bow and every tongue confess. When you stand before God, you're going to give account of your own sin. And Adam won't be there. His name won't be mentioned. You won't be able to blame it on him at all. Remember, we are responsible for what we do. And if we don't receive Jesus Christ, then we're going to spend eternity in hell over his dead body. We inherited Adam's sin nature. He is the federal head. Romans talks about um, the, the two federal heads. Adam, who is the the the, the federal head of mankind, Jesus, the second Adam, who rescued us from the sin of the first Adam. He didn't have to, but he did. So no, it's not unfair. And Josh, when you frame a question like that, or when somebody asks you that question, remember the answer is God is always fair and he's always just. 340-9585. We'd love to have your call to toll-free 877-630-KSLR. We'll be back in two minutes. Got a question for Pastor Ron and the word to stand on for life? You can send it to him via email at PastorRonKSLR at gmail.com. That's PastorRonKSLR at gmail.com. Back to the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the second half of our Friday program. We're done for the weekend and after this next 30 minutes. 340-9585 for your calls and questions. Here is a cynical anonymous question. If you could show me the Trinity just one time in the Bible, I would believe. But you can't. Anonymous, I'm about to show you just one time. Now, the Trinity is all over the Bible. But I'm going to be very specific just one time. And I'm going to challenge you to keep your word. Believe. I'm going to read three verses. This is Revelation chapter 1 beginning in verse 3. Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. Now, I only included that verse because I want to repeat, because the time of near. Everybody listening, and you anonymous, you need to know Jesus coming. You've got to deal with these issues. Okay, here's the two verses. Verse 4 says, John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, Grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come. That's a reference to the Father. And from the seven spirits before his throne, 
That's not seven Holy Spirits. That's the, the, the Isaiah chapter 11, reference to the sevenfold Spirit, the fullness of the Spirit of God. And then verse 5 says, And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. So there it is. From the Father, from him who is and who was and who is to come. That name is the I Am. From the burning bush in Exodus chapter 3. And from the seven spirits before the throne of God. And from Jesus Christ. There's Father, Spirit, and Son in that order. That's Revelation chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. Uh, mission accomplished. Now, the question is, are you going to be honest enough to believe it? Now it's between you and God. Jack says, oh, we got a phone call. Let me go here first. We got Cindy on line one holding. Cindy, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. Happy Friday. Thank you, Cindy. I needed that. (laughs) Well, you know what? In the Gospel of John, chapter 21, verse 12. Now, what's going on is that the disciples are out fishing, and they haven't been able to catch anything, so they see somebody on the shore, and it's the Lord, and he says, put your net on the other side of the boat, and they do, and they catch an enormous amount of fish, and then they decide to come to shore. Now, what's going on is that he's hanging out on shore, and he's cooking them breakfast, some um, fish, it appears. Now, this is where I'm a little confused. It says, Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, this is a confusing thing. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. I can't figure out why would it even say that they didn't dare to ask him. Because on the road to Emmaus, he, he disguised himself, it appears. So does he, like, do that sometimes, or did he do that sometimes? So, anyways, I'll listen to your answer and, um, and get off the phone. Bye. <laughs> Thank you, Cindy. Uh, I so love your questions. Uh, Cindy, yeah, sometimes he disguised himself. You know, he did that um, in in the large crowds of people before his death as well. He would sort of go through the crowds, protected supernaturally so people couldn't see him. But that's not the case here. The reason none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you, they knew it was the Lord, was because they weren't supposed to be fishing. That's their old life. Jesus had told them, from now on I will make you fishers of men. And so what they do, they Jesus is gone, and now, you know, yeah, he's alive. Now what are we going to do? Waiting is hard. I tell you that all the time. Waiting is hard. Now, from the time that Jesus was risen from the dead and appeared to them, the first time, and then occasionally after, and the time Jesus was taken up into heaven was 40 days. And that means necessarily there were times Jesus would, would appear to him, he would talk to them, he'd teach them, but then he'd be gone. And what's happened here is post-resurrection, uh, the disciples have sort of turned back to their old life, not doing anything sinful, but Jesus told them, I've made you fishers of men. So when Jesus said, uh, come and have breakfast, and none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. They were thinking, uh-oh, busted. We're not supposed to be here. And by the way, that's one of the reasons it's so important in the 15th verse, Cindy, that Jesus asks Peter 
Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Now, there's two things that he was referring to. The first was, of course, the other disciples. Remember, Peter had said that, oh, I love you more than all the others. Lord, I'm ready to die for you. I'm ready to go to prison for you. And now, because Peter has already been guilty of denying the Lord, um, Jesus is saying, Peter, do you love me more than the other guys? Remember, Peter needed to be humbled, and God was making sure that that experience of denying him humbled him, that he was really, really now um, having the proper perspective on who he was. The second thing, there was 153 fish, a huge catch, large fish, we're told. And, um, and he's saying, Peter, do you love me more than these? Are you willing to put away? I told you not to go fishing. Here you are fishing. Now I've given you the best you can ever get. You will never have a better day fishing than the one you just had because I ordered those fish into your, net, into your nets. Now here's the question. Do you love me more than you love that success? Do you love me more than the world and the plans you've made in this world? And that's why Peter was forced. This is Peter's restoration, of course. And that's why Peter was um, being humbled. He had to be humbled. I'm going to talk about being humbled tonight uh, in our last study, First Peter. And I love that Peter wrote this because the question is, are, are we going to be humbled or are we going to be humiliated? Peter, who was not humble, had already been humiliated. And so Jesus is saying, Peter, did you learn your lesson? So, Cindy, that's what was going on there. Um, but remember that they were coming in off the water, and Jesus was there, already had a fish. Silly thing is, you know, I'm sitting here cooking breakfast. You guys got 153 fish in your boat, and you can't eat any of them because they haven't been cleaned or cooked. So I love that story. Thank you very, very much, Cindy. Let's go to, we got Jimmy on line two from San Antonio. Jimmy, thanks for calling. You're on the air. I'm doing fine. Pilgrim. Well, hi, sir. That was an amazing story what you said, how you and Paula were in California and that what which y'all went through. But um, yesterday when y'all talked. Yeah. But um, last night we were in a, in a prayer meeting and we we're in this, this one of our prayer partners came up with Psalm 56, verse 3 and 4, and it was an amazing uh, verse. And it says, When I am afraid, I will trust in you, in God whose word I praise, in God I trust, I will not be afraid. What can mortal man do to me? That is amazing. That last sentence is amazing. What can a mortal man do to me? Right? What's your they question? Can hurt yeah. me. Well, they only can they only can hurt my physical body. They can't hurt my spirit. Mm-hmm. I know sometimes they do, but well, they hurt my feelings sometimes. But. <laughs> you, you know, Jimmy, uh, the, the Lord told his followers one day, he said, you know, don't fear the, the man that can harm the body, but fear the one who can harm your soul. And that's the idea here. And, um, you know, I think I, I say all the time to our church, I wouldn't say it to people outside the church because I don't know them, but, but I tell our church all the time, you know, we got to toughen up. You know, we can't let our feelings being hurt change things. 
And uh, this is a good passage of Scripture for the thing that we're all going through. Um, when I'm afraid, and I am afraid, Lord, I'm going to trust in you. Um, and and then then we'll be able to serve. You know, Jimmy, it's, it's also true. Um, the, the New Testament is full of these passages. Romans chapter 8, uh, if God is for me, who can be against me? And then in verse 37, he says, No, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And that's just echoing what the psalmist is writing here. Uh, we go through difficult things, but God is with us. If God is for me, who can be against me? And that's really the sentiment of of the psalmist in, in this this uh, passage. This is David, of course, and he's being chased by King Saul. He's um, yeah. There's lies being told about him. Um, everywhere he turns, there's somebody that's ready to, to, to kill him. And uh, he just says, Oh God, bring down the nations, record my lament, list my tears on your scroll, are they not in your record? Uh, and then he says, My enemies will turn back when I call for help. By this I will know that God is for me. Any other yeah. comment, Jimmy? No, I just I, I know I know what you're saying. I mean I mean people do hurt my feelings sometimes and and um, but I know that they can't destroy my spirit. My faith in God, they can't destroy my faith in God. Yeah. yeah. You know, um Jim Jimmy and I think this is a good good uh, question for everybody to deal with. Because when our feelings are hurt, I don't even know why I was reading and it came across a news feed. I was listening to Governor Abbott's um, press conference today. And there was a thing about this this movie star. I, I don't even know who he is. But he was talking about how he's been so bullied and so berated on social media that he can hardly show his face in public. And his heart has been hurt. And he's unfairly attacked. And I just thought, you know, stop it. You don't have to read social media. You don't have no, to you expose don't. yourself to all that stuff. Well, the same thing is true for you and for me when people come against us. You know, Jimmy, I'm in a situation now where no matter what I do regarding this coronavirus um, uh, quarantine situation, um, there's people shooting at me from both sides. You know, somebody says, well, well, we shouldn't be afraid. We should be in church. We should defy the, the, the governing authorities. And, and Pastor Ron, if you had faith, you'd do that. And then on the other side, there's people who say, no, if you step out of line one little bit, well, then you're a bad witness and you don't care. I had somebody actually tell me that if somebody gets uh, this virus because you had people gather together at church for any reason at all, then that's on you. And, you know, that, that stuff hurts your feelings. These are people that yeah. know me. At least they should know me. And, and I love them and I pray for them. I've never had a bad thought about them. And suddenly... In a, in a Christ, they turn on me. Well, if I let that affect my ministry for the Lord, if I let that change how I dealt with Paula, for example, mm-hmm. if I threw up my arms and said, well, what's the point? You know, I'm serving all these people and they don't even care. Well, that would only reveal my heart. Now, I say this, Jimmy, not for you personally, but for so mm-hmm. many of us, the true condition of our heart and the, the real motive of our serving God is always disclosed when our feelings get hurt. Jesus promised us that people hated him, they're going to hate us. They insulted yeah. him, they're going to insult us. And uh, he, said, he said, blessed are you, and that word is happy. Happy are you if you're persecuted for righteousness' sake. Yeah. 
He didn't say we'd feel happy. He just said we would be happy. Yes. And that's what we need to remember. So always remember, it doesn't matter what man says to you. Uh, the only thing that matters is what God thinks about you. And because we're not insensitive and we love people and we want to be loved by people, our feelings are going to get hurt. But that's just um, part and parcel of our calling in Jesus Christ. Jimmy, we love you. God bless you, man. I appreciate I love it. You too. Thank you. Uh huh. Three four zero ninety five eighty five for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from Jack. Uh, Pastor Ryan, I think I understand Calvinism, but don't know for sure if I've been selected by God. Wouldn't God make me want Him if I was chosen? Um, Jack, a couple of things. First, God doesn't make us do anything. He wants us to choose to do it. And I've seen this going on in the church. I mean, Calvinism, Neo-Calvinism has made sort of a resurgence, in, especially in the Southern Baptist Convention, but, but a lot of these supposedly young, hip, Neo-Calvinist guys are the, the hot new thing. Um, and we listen to them. And, and I think we've got this tendency to think, well, if God wants me to do this, he'll make me. God wants you to love him because he loved you first. Now, you don't really understand Calvinism, and I'm going to declare to you, Jack, that's a good thing. If you don't know that you've been chosen by God, then all you have to do is choose Him right now. It's that simple. It's not what you can do, it's not what God's going to make you do, but you can choose of your own free will to follow Jesus with all of your heart. You can choose to abandon everything for the sake and for the glory of following Jesus Christ. Jack, let me recommend a study I did just Wednesday night in Genesis chapter 4 and 5. Actually, this is toward the end of the study in chapter 5. We talked about Enoch. Now, Enoch was unique, Jack, because he was born into a world I'm going to describe it the way the Bible does. Every inclination of man's heart was only evil all the time. Now focus on those adjectives. Every, only, all. And that's the world that Enoch was born in. That means the world was rebelling against God. Completely rebelling against God. This is before the flood. And Enoch walked in that condition for 65 years. And then God sent him a message, the birth of his son, Methuselah. His name means when he dies, it will come. And when Enoch got that message, he repented. He instantly repented. And then it says for 300 years he walked with God. 300 years. So, 65 years, he was walking with the evil in this world. God sent him a message. He responded, and for the next 300 years of his own free will, he walked with God and so pleased God that God took him away. I promise you, Jack, if you'll start walking with Jesus, you'll want to serve, and you'll know that you've been chosen by God. But you'll also know this. They didn't choose you and you had no choice in the matter. He chose you because he knew you'd choose him back. 
So I hope that makes sense to you, Jack. Thank you very much. Let's go to a place called Giddings now. I don't know where that is. Billy on line one. Billy, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Yes, sir. Uh, you look at Mark 16. It says, These signs will follow them that believe in my name. They'll lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. I mm-hmm. just want to ask you and your Pentecostal friends like Mr. Hagee and uh, Copeland and others like that, uh, why aren't you guys having healing lines if you claim to follow <laughs> Jesus and you claim the church started in the day of Pentecost, which it didn't? Uh, these signs should be following you, sir, and your friends, uh, your Pentecostal friends, charismatic. I mean, uh, there it is. These signs will follow. They'll cast out devils. Now, where, where's all the signs you guys talk about, man? There ain't none. <laughs> Thank <laughs> really? you, Billy. I, I'll, I'll, I'll answer your question. I hope you'll listen. Um, first of all, John Hagee is not a friend. I don't know him. Um, I, I don't really agree with his teaching. Secondly, I'm not a Pentecostal. Um, we are charismatics. We believe the gifts of the Spirit are for today. And thirdly, Billy, if you would really learn to study your Bible, you would understand that when Jesus told his disciples that very thing, these signs will follow, that's exactly what the book of Acts is about. Jesus was giving them a word of prophecy. Jesus was letting them know, those who follow me. Remember, Jesus is still with them. He hasn't ascended to his Father yet. And he says to them, "This, th- these signs will follow. We've got 28 chapters in the book of Acts of that very thing happening. The Apostle Paul was bitten by a, a viper, and he shook it off into the fire. All of those miraculous things happened. Those were the gifts given to the apostolic fathers. And it can't be any clearer. If you look at the book of Acts, at the beginning it says, and many signs and wonders were done by the apostles. It didn't say many signs and wonders were done by everybody. Now there were other people, Philip, notably, Stephen, notably, but there were others throughout the first century church who did miracles that validated their calling as apostles or their calling as prophets. But they were never intended for those to be the signs and the wonders that followed every believer of Jesus Christ. So all you have to do is learn to study your Bible, Billy. Instead of pointing fingers and lumping people together judgmentally, as you just demonstrated, just study your Bible. Spend a little bit more time with your Bible than you do with whatever your pet doctrines are. I love the fact that there's power available. I'll also say this, Billy, while the kind of miracles that you see in the book of Acts aren't to be commonplace, A miracle is, by definition, something that happens infrequently. It's God imposing himself on the natural with the supernatural. So if that's true, why do we expect to see miracles all the time? And if you just study your Bible, 
It has all of the answers. So, Billy, I hope that's the case. 340-9585. I'm told Giddings is about 50 miles east of Austin. Well, I'm glad you called us, Billy, and I hope that you'll take to heart what I said. I think we got time maybe for one more. Um, well, here's one I've already answered, so I can go ahead and do it. It's from Albert. And he said, Pastor Ron, do you think churches should comply with orders not to assemble? You know, Albert, I got a call today from a, a dear, dear son in the faith of mine from Durango, Mexico uh, today. Um, and he was asking me, his question was, well, when do we get to that place where we follow God and not obey the, the, the authorities in, in Durango? They're also, um, he said they've only had five cases of, uh, a city of 700,000 people, they've only had five cases of this coronavirus, um, and yet they, they can't meet um, not even with 10 people on a church, so they're doing it live stream as well. But a lot of their people don't have uh, access to live stream. Um, and he's getting frustrated. And so what I told him is what I said earlier in the program, that as Christians, we got to be careful about our witness. We're told in Romans 13 clearly to obey the authorities. And here's what I told him. I said, when, when I find that line is when... Um, other businesses can function and the doors are open for everybody to go back to normal. If churches are singled out, then we will rebel. Then we will rebel. And I'm not a conspiracy guy, but it wouldn't surprise me to see church the way we do it, the advantages and the benefits we enjoy um, to be under attack as a result of all of this. So I think today, Albert, yes, we who are pastors ought to comply with the orders not to assemble. Uh, I think it's silly, frankly, but at the same time, uh, I don't get to make the rules. I can follow them. And so that's what we're going to do. And uh, that was the counsel that I gave him. So I hope that answers your question. Last question of the day. i got time for one more, I think. Myra wants to know, what does it mean in Matthew 27 that God forsook Jesus? It means that as Jesus became sin, Myra, as he took on your sin, the unthinkable happened. For the first time, fellowship with his Father was broken. In his incarnation, as he became sin, as the wrath of God poured out on him, Jesus was forsaken by his Father. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And that's what it means. Now, there's another key there, Myra. It's also true that Jesus was evangelizing, quoting a, a, a well-known messianic psalm. Um, he was saying, it's me, it's me. I'm the one who's dying for the sins of the world. Hey, thank you for the questions. Hey, have a great weekend. Remember, you can't go to church, but you can be with Jesus. You've been listening to The Word to Stand Up for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. First Peter chapter 5, we finish tonight, calvarysa.com at 7 o'clock. We'll see you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Well, I mean,